Nick owns 17 businesses and only works 25 hours per week. Hi, I'm Jared Krause, host of the Buying Online Businesses podcast, and today I'm speaking with Nick Eubanks, serial entrepreneur, digital strategist, consultant, mentor, and speaker, and he's founded a number of companies and has been a C-level executive for companies uh, like, you know, from the future, Traffic Think Tank, Atomny, Factor Media, NK Tech, LLC, and a bunch of others. And he's known for building Japan's largest review website as a product of Factor media. Now, Nick currently leads Traffic Think Tank, which is a private SEO community, which he co-founded, and it is one of the largest premium private communities for SEOs. In this podcast episode, Nick and I talk about how many businesses he's actually bought, how many he's currently owning, and why he actually has decided to buy businesses instead of just starting them from scratch. We also talk about what he's learned through his due diligence for different types of businesses, you know, buying an e-commerce business versus buying an agency versus buying a content site. And we also talk about what SEO due diligence he does when he is buying a content site. What are some of the things that he checks for and why? What are some of the risks that happen with people that may sell a site using age domains that are linking to sites and how to detect some of the fraudulent things they actually do? We also talk about buying content sites and why he would never buy an Amazon affiliate business and what he likes to do instead. We talk about ad networks as well, and he loves using ad networks and you know can have a couple of sites making 40 to 50K per month from a couple hundred thousand users uh, by using using different ad networks that we speak about in the podcast episode. We'll talk about an example of an e-commerce business that Nick bought and how it went quite well, but why he would never own an e-commerce business again, which I sit in the same boat uh, as as well in terms of you know how many hats you're wearing when owning an e-commerce business. And then Nick and I have a really refreshing conversation around mindset in business and why you can actually or how you can actually work less and why it works. Working less works for you and allows you to earn more just by working less. I also recommend a book that can help you think about business differently. And it's a book by the mentor of uh, Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad Poor Dad. So really great book. I also talk about with Nick how to put out fires in business and in life without being stressed and coming from a place of fear and then teaching your team leadership and becoming empowered in their role, which helps them become better workers and better employees. We also talk about uh, the traffic think tank for SEOs and SEO agency employees that Nick co-founded and what actually happens within that um, that think tank as well. There's such a valuable episode. You're absolutely going to love it. If you are looking to buy an online business, are interested in mindset to being able to achieve your results and all good things about entrepreneurship, this is such a valuable episode. You're absolutely going to love it. Before we get stuck into this episode, I do want to tell you that this podcast is not the only way I can help you for free. We talked about buying businesses in this episode. So make sure you get my due diligence framework, which a lot of people have been raving about. So many people in the industry are actually using this framework to buy businesses. So go away and get that by going to buyingonlinebusinesses.com forward slash free resources. Let's dive into the episode. Do you want to build or grow your content website? Niche website builders have helped hundreds of people to take their content websites from a few hundred dollars per month to over tens of thousands of dollars per month with crafted content creation, buying age domains and link building strategies. These strategies have helped people increase their traffic, authority, monthly earnings and their website valuation too. Head to nichewebsite.builders forward slash B-O-B forward slash to get 10% off any link building or 
10% more from their content creation services. That's nichewebsite.builders forward slash Bob forward slash. I'll put a link in the description too. Nick, welcome to the Buying Online Businesses podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I am excited for this chat because there's so much more to your story than I realized when I was looking at my notes. So I got some pretty pretty exciting things that I want to dive into. First and foremost, when you say you told me you've got 17 operating companies, I'm like, wow, that's, that's not only impressive, but I wonder how you spend your time. And I'm sure we're going to dive into that and what sort of mindset has allowed you to have that much capacity in terms of a portfolio business that, that size. But you also mentioned you bought a handful, maybe a dozen, half a dozen or so of online uh, businesses. So why, why buy them? instead of starting them? What's your take on that? The most recent businesses I've purchased have been agencies uh, in particular. Um, so agencies with a specific skill set um, that we didn't have. Uh, most recent one was last July. We bought Plush Digital um, located in Los Angeles. They are a paid media and analytics company. We FTF uh, didn't have a paid media department um, and we were having a hell of a time trying to make a senior analytics hire. So after 12 months of, of frustration, um, aqua hire became a much smarter approach and uh, the pieces sort of all lined up for that one. Prior to that, in 2018, we bought um, Webris, which is out of Miami, and True Voice Media, which is a social media focused agency here in Philadelphia. Um, again, focused more on productized SEO and social media stuff that we didn't have. Um, instead of spending all the time to build a new capability, build a new practice area, and, uh, you know, if we were to make the numbers work, rather buy one and bolt it on instead. I love it. I love it. Acquisition for growth. Yeah. Yeah. Or to, yeah, growth in the team and specific talent or, or growth in the capability set. I mean, the revenue bolt on is always nice, but um, it's rarely the reason that, that I've done it. I mean, I know the conglomeration model is very popular right now among a lot of agency owners, which is, you know, they, you've got somebody who has a lot of relationships and they have the Rolodex and they'll put everybody's uh, companies together for no cash out of pocket. They're just, you know, slicing up equity from the, the founder pool and they get a piece themselves from putting the deal together, you know, put five agencies together, you know, that are each doing three to $5 million a year in revenue. Now you've got a 20 plus million dollar agency, uh, should be able to carve out a bunch of additional profit margins from redundancies and tools and staffing. And then, you know, turn, turn that around and sell it for, you know, a three to five X EBITDA multiplier and, you know, call it a day. Um, so there's, there's, I think there's a lot of reasons that people buy agencies, um, yeah, mine was definitely more like strategic growth uh, of the you know, of the team or of services. Yeah, and and have you put a bunch of these agencies into like a roll up and sold them, or is that something you may think about in the future? No, no, that's I mean the the that's not in the plan. Yeah. I mean the, the plan has been to build. Um, I look at at agency world a little bit differently. I mean I. I see, I get to speak to um, a bunch of agency owners every week now. Um, there's a couple hundred in Traffic Think Tank, but I also work one-on-one with 10 different agency owners right now, all various stages. And the, there tends to be, and it, there's no hard and fast rule, but it tends to be roughly like three approaches. I think that people want to build agencies, like three reasons people want to build agencies. They don't want to build it and run it and work in the business and work like a madman and just make a ton of money and, and you know hopefully retire early or um, build them specifically to sell. Some people want are like, I want to do this for five years and sell. I don't care where I'm at. Some people are like, I want to do this until I can sell for 10 million or 20 million or $40 million. They've got some specific number in mind. Um, and then there's the approach that I took, um, which I'm finding more and more common these days, which is I want to use the agency profits to build tools and other productized services 
um, hopefully grow those into companies of their own products of their own. And then when the agency talent that is trained according to my processes and, you know, has, is a culture fit with me and my team, when they get burned out roughly around the five year mark, instead of going in house in some cushy job that, uh, for a stranger, they can just move into one of, you know, one of our other companies. So it becomes a nice sort of on-ramp, um, in terms of to get, you know, trained senior talent, um, to come through the agency and, and the, you know, the cash flywheel is certainly pretty nice too. Anybody who's running an efficient agency, will tell you that the, uh, the cash you begin to actually kick off and, you know, year three, four, um, if you're able to maintain, you know, sort of a minimum acceptable margin of call it 25 or 30% is, is actually pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. What I really like, as I think about this, as you speak, what I really like is, you know, how to grow a business, it's good to work out what our clients want in our agency and that we may not be able to provide or we need to build that tool or that mechanism or that part of the business to do so and just buying something, plug that in so you can service that part and increase ROI by giving people a better service and more of what they're actually after. I think mm-hmm. that's just that's be- that's a beautiful, beautiful thing to be able to do. So you bought a few agencies. Have you bought other types of businesses as well or is it more so you know, purchase. Yeah. A couple of years ago, I bought an e-commerce company, um, that I just exited uh, a couple months ago. Um, it was called under underfit. Yeah, it was men's undershirts and underwear. Um, I found out about it because I spoke to the previous owner on a consulting call forever ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he had relaunched his website, tanked his SEO. We talked strategy, kept in contact. He sent me some of the, the undershirts. I'm not really an undershirt guy, but the underwear I became extremely, uh, like a very big fan of, and it was all I would wear. And at some point the conversation got to the place where he's like, Hey, like, you know what to do with this more than I do. Would you want to buy this? Um, and I was like, I love the product. Um, and then the, the kicker for me with them was, um, when I found out that underfit actually has the trademark, both the word mark and the, uh, logo mark trademarks, uh, globally for the word underfit. Um, and I spoke to, uh, when we were initially talking about the deal, I spoke to a trademark attorney and was like, Hey, uh, if I want to create a line of gray undershirts, a couple different colors, uh, because we have the, um, trademark on the word underfit, is there anything stopping me from calling them the underfit armor line? They said, no, not at all. I was like, okay, that's a good enough reason. So I just, the plan was originally just to create enough brand confusion ranking for underfit armor that I became such a thorn in under armor side that they forced to be forced to buy me a strategic buyout. But I never had the attention or conviction to care enough about that. Um, I've learned that physical e-commerce, which I, I cut my teeth on from 2012 to 2017 at a, a goofy company called traffic safety store. I thought I wanted to do physical product e-commerce and then, you know, actually owning one and running one and dealing with inventory, especially over COVID and, and supply chain issues and fulfillment. And it's just the bane of my existence. So I'm very happy to be out of I'm it. I'm so glad that you said that because there's people that come to me that say, hey, Jared, I want to buy a business. And they have the ideology that owning an online business is owning an e-commerce business. And they have zero experience and zero skills in running an e-commerce business, let alone paid ads, let alone SEO, let alone all the other things in terms of logistics. Yeah, email, like really understanding like how wildly important email is and how much of like, like how big of an investment is to do email right and then personalization and then customer data management and then product information management. Like it's just, no thanks. Yeah, I agree. I'm spot on. I'm spot on. The the second, so my second business I bought and then my third business I bought were e-commerce businesses because I thought if I just keep buying more businesses, it's, you know, it's, it's going to be making more money. And the, I learned the hard way, um, that e-commerce is just a really tough thing to have. And coming from you, no, you buying other businesses and then coming in and having a lot of experience in business, you know, saying the same thing. I'm, I'm very grateful that you brought that up. And when it comes to buying, 
buying these businesses, you mentioned, you know, you did a bit of due diligence, you checked with, you know, a trademark attorney on some things that you're thinking about doing in terms of growth of the business. And I'm sure there's a lot, there's obviously a lot more that went into the due diligence of buying that e-commerce business. But what did you learn about the due diligence phase between say an e-commerce business and buying an agency, the differences? Oh, I mean, like they're, they're night and day, right? I mean, like the thing about the agency that, that transfers well to, I mean, cause like it's just a professional services business at the end of the day, right? And you can, you can compare it, you know, one-to-one with pretty much any business where you're selling human time for money. Um, so it doesn't matter if you're a lawyer or a landscaper or an accountant or, you know, marketing agency, development agency, it's all the same business model. Yeah. And, um, yeah. The biggest thing there was, uh, you know, all the things that I did horribly wrong in 2018. Um, so I bought two agencies that closed six days apart from each other. Um, it's the worst professional decision I've ever made. Wow, so they closed. Uh, it was pure ego. No, no, no. Like, like I bought like the deal closed. Like, like the, we closed the deal to finish, like to complete the acquisition of one, and then six days later the other one no finished. Way. And like I would like. I had never bought an agency before, so thinking that I could do two simultaneously, one one in Philadelphia and one in Miami was um, an ego trip that like I don't ever need to, to be on again. Um, and so we ended up you know, churning roughly 30, maybe even 40% of the total revenue that we captured from those acquisitions and the team and just wasn't prepared for it. Um, so like learning that the hard way, um, that there's a lot more due diligence that goes into buying a professional services company, not only understanding all of the personalities and the individual understanding and perceptions of the culture from the, the teams themselves, but then also understanding not just what is in the SOW, but speaking to every single client and understanding like what is their expectation? What is it that they were sold and what are they expecting? Like how are they expecting to be serviced? Because um, we didn't do that. Uh, we just you know built the, like laid out the whole client list, you know, redivided the teams, restructured the org chart, uh, made intro calls with all the clients and just, you know, did everything that we th- thought I felt right. But there was a lot of unknown unknowns um, that cost a fuck ton of money. Um, whereas doing the due diligence on an ad revenue site or an affiliate site or a lead gen site is, is, is much, much easier. I mean, after lead gen, you still have the customer component, but, um, you know, based on volume receipts and frequency, there, there's ways to sort of uncover any, any mysteries there. And then, um, you know, any decent SEO is going to understand, um, you know, how to do a link audit and, and look for uh, Easter eggs. Uh, usually the one, you know, most common ones, especially on ad revenue sites are you've got a site that, you know, has, has been building traffic and then had a couple of big pops in traffic and you look at the link profile and they've got two or three super strong domains that they're redirecting in and you ask the owner who's selling it and they're like, hey, these domains that are, you know, accounting for 80% of your link profile via these redirects, do these come with the sale? And they go, no. Um, that, I mean, that has, uh, saved me and some of my clients a shit ton of money because there's a lot of these fucking, uh, hucksters out there that are becoming notorious for taking these yeah. domains, pointing them, selling them as soon as the sale is done, because it wasn't in the terms of agreement, they remove the redirects, that site tanks, they point them somewhere else and just do it over and over again. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a disgusting thing to do to somebody, isn't it? It's absolutely putrid. Uh, I want to talk about that in, let's, let's dive into SEO due diligence for say content sites, ad revenue, affiliate sites. You know, the link audit is, is paramount. What are some of the other SEO things that you'd be checking when doing due diligence on these types of businesses? Yeah, the, um, I mean, uh, content depth, keyword spread, uh, you know, how difficult are the terms that they're ranking for? And I mean, what I'm really looking for when, when I'm auditing a lot of these things, because the, the financials tell you most of what you need yeah. to um, outside of, you know, some basic like link auditing, and, you know, crawler type stuff. It really comes down to 
how how big is the upside? Uh, so similar with like that, you know, that idea behind underfit and under armor, going after under armor, like, you know, are there, are there cannibalization issues present? What is, you know, does it look, it was the, the site was penalized. Are there obvious issues with, um, authorship and authority, like looking for, you know, how fast can we potentially, you know, increase the, the net traffic, net revenue of the site, you know, by at least 20, 30% is de- definitely helps when prioritizing, right? Cause there's a, there's a, any given moment, there's a crap ton of, of businesses for sale of all kinds. And, yeah. If, you know, the market sets the valuations and for the right sites, you're, you know, you're not going to save much money. If, if you're in your budget, you're in your budget. Um, so I think it's really about looking into like the total addressable markets for some of those verticals and, and getting a sense for like, how big is the current penetrated keyword spread? How much big, like, where is there room for me to pick up? Because um, one of the other things that is, is I think really frustrating for somebody who wants to buy a business, like an online business for the first time is they, they get the idea in their head. They come, they speak to somebody like you. And you go out and you look at the opportunity and you're like, you're like, this is, this is a safe business. If you want to run a business, if you want to be an operator, but there's, there's not really any upside. This business did everything right. And they're operating as good as they can. So unless you want to expand the product catalog, develop new services, buy competitors, increase your media channels. Like there's not much you can do. I also, I'm not against paid media by any sense of the word, but I am, um, I am extremely biased toward free traffic. So like, uh, most of the you know content sites, affiliate sites that um, we own and operate now uh, were tests. It was like, hey, here's a pocket of traffic. Let's throw a site up and throw a couple hundred thousand words at it and some links and see what happens after six months. And it's been a low cost, relatively low risk at a certain level way to to find new opportunities. Um, uh, one of the questions I get constantly, uh, like every week. Is you know, hey, how do you identify new? You know, how do you find new niches for SEO traffic? Like to go after from an SEO traffic perspective, how are you finding these content sites? And the answer is like, there, there is no process. It's you start down a rabbit hole, and sometimes you stumble across, uh, you know, a piece of gold, and, and most of the time you don't. Um, and I wish there was some more scientific or fancy or strategic decision, like a, you know, answer to that. But it's. It's been luck. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Sometimes you win, sometimes you don't, but you just need to, if you do want it, you need to just put in the work and the time, right? So with these uh, affiliate sites and content sites that you, you you found a pocket of keywords and you just go, let's get this domain and, and, and build, you know, a couple hundred Ks of words, what happens then? Do you, you sort of see that, okay, we can get some traffic for that and then you go, all right, let's keep building out more categories with more keywords? Uh, or- sort of. I mean, my aside from some of the affiliate, affiliate um, verticals, which are like a lot more direct response, direct to consumer stuff. I really have a penchant for directories. Um, so opportunities to take publicly available data, uh, ideally that's disparate, you know, where you, you can take data from multiple sources and sort of just curate a better experience. Um, but where you're not really doing much content creation, you know, it's, it's like the uh, newest one that I'm working on right now is, um, oh, no, I'll just talk about a funnier one. Uh, I've got a post office site that's in development and people are like, why would you build a post office site? Like, why would anyone just go to USPS? And it's like, well, there's, you know, 24 million searches a month for all of these post office terms. Mm-hmm. And guess what? The USPS site definitely gets the most clicks for most of those keywords, but A, they don't get all the clicks and B, there's keywords on there that they don't rank at all for. And those are going to other third party sites. And, you know, when you look at volume of that size, you know, and it only takes a couple hundred people, I think also not really, it only takes a couple hundred page views, depending on the RPM, like depending on the keywords, depending on the niche, it only takes a couple hundred thousand page views to make 40, 50 grand a month in ad revenue. Once you've had, once you've gotten a taste of ad revenue, I don't think there's really any going back. And you're like, wait, I don't have clients or customers <laughs> or deadlines. It's like money just shows up every month. 
coming back to um, what we're saying about e-commerce businesses versus content sites it's, it's, the, it's the exact opposite yeah. like yeah you're still at the mercy of updates but like if you build shit yeah. right um that's the other thing too is people are always like oh how like when are you gonna sell it's like why would i sell these Just things like i mean unless the unless the vertical yeah. Yeah, like unless the vertical is at risk of like going out of style, you know, or, you know, you're in a, you're overlapping with a government sector that's likely to eventually pick up the sophistication to overtake you with, the, you know, government websites. Outside of those though, like there's not much risk. I like that you talked about, you know, you get a couple of hundred K views a month and you can get, you know, four to five grand in ad revenue. Uh, 40, 40 to 50 grand in ad revenue. 40 to 50 grand in ad revenue from what? A couple of hundred K with... A couple hundred thousand pages. And, and you're looking at uh, an ad partner. RPM is between 70 and 130 bucks. Awesome. And where are you, where, where are you, what ad partners are you using for these? Or are you just. So, I mean, uh, you know, to start, we use uh, Ezoic a lot and pay for their premium partner placements. You make, you make twice what the cost is every time. Uh, as soon as you're over 50,000 page views, Mediavine uh, is another great one. But again, like those, those, um, uh, like ad placement partnerships, those ad placement platforms, um, there really isn't a blanket answer because some are much better for some verticals than others. Like both of the ones I just mentioned, like you can't use in in like the four P's, porn pills, poker payday, like those have super high, you know, ECPM. So you have to find different ad partners for those um, versus like jobs market where you've got like carbon and like, so I think it, it definitely comes down to the niche that you're playing in. Um, which ad partners potentially going to be the best from a scalability and like a, a revenue perspective. But at the end of the day, there's also just not that many. I mean, there might be 15 ad networks. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Ezoic, uh, Ezoic Premium is, I'm on Ezoic Premium with one of my sites and they're just, it's great. They give you so much advice. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. That's the best 2200 bucks to spend. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. And they, the guarantee of them always earning you more money from the premium, premium mm -hmm. ad. Well, it's you. I'm it's always at least double, like just like just on those placements. Sometimes it's you know three, four, depending on the site and the niche. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if all, if all like there's there's a big part of me that just wants to only build directory sites. Yeah. From now on, and uh, yeah, never speak to humans again. <laughs> it's it's good that you said that because there's so many people that come to this show. I'm like, I'm gonna buy, I'm gonna buy an e-commerce business and make a bunch of money and sell these products like everybody does online. And yeah, you can do that, but just yeah, e-commerce is booming. Yeah. We went. We went 10 years inside 10 months. There's so much money being spent online. It's like, yes, there is 74% of that money is being spent on Amazon. But yeah, if you want to go fight the other, you know, 28,000 e-commerce stores in your vertical for the remaining 30%. You, you yeah, and, and have a fun race to the bottom. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there is, it's funny enough, like I do have some friends that make a really nice living with drop shipping. Yeah. Um, but it only makes sense in my, in my very humble opinion, if you're doing like really high dollar items. So like if you're selling stuff that's like over $2,000 to sale, like the commissions, you know, the, like, cause you're not seeing much of it. So like, but like the actual slice you'll get from dropshipping begins to make sense. But people doing dropshipping in like commodities markets, like that blows my mind. Yeah. I, I used to do, I used to have a business dropshipping in furniture. Um, and it quite it went quite it went okay. quite well, but just ugh, I'm the same as you. I just couldn't be be happier now that I don't have to deal with customer service stuff and <laughs> um, management. Of yeah, again, the other thing is there's still something I I'm still really big. Like the the companies I'm buying more than anything else these days are pro, are existing affiliates uh, sites, usually in niches that I'm already in, just sort of stacking the deck. Um, whether that's you know additional impressions, uh, spreading risk across multiple sites. Um, or, you know, in some cases just, you know, 
sort of uh, pushing them all together. So like, you know, one plus one makes three. But the, uh, I think one of the things I wish somebody would have told me when I first started an affiliate was that, you know, depending on your level of traffic and commission, you can go negotiate those commissions. Yes. Like direct with partners. Nobody tells direct. you that. Yeah. Yeah. You can go back and be like, hey, you're paying me 15%. I sent you 15 grand last month. Uh, you know, I don't know if any, how anybody else is doing, how much any of your other partners are sending, but I want 25% or I'm going to go and repoint your, like, I'm going to change the top position in that page to this competitor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, anyway, yeah. I've, 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 the highest I've negotiated is 40%, but I know people who've like negotiated 60 and wow. 70%. Wow. They're just, they're, they're, there's so much control of the traffic. And so I'm curious when you're buying an affiliate site, you buying something that's just mostly Amazon affiliate and then changing it over. Like, tell no, 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 I don't. Uh, no, I don't own a single Amazon affiliate site, um, and I will not buy. Good, one. good, good, good. And tell us, tell us why. Please tell us why your your theory, because there's um, so many people that I, just. I, I mean, I don't. The idea of getting four cents on the dollar <laughs> is just not very appealing. To me. So the, there's there's so much uh, to so much people come and listen to this podcast and go. Oh, I'm just gonna, you know, it's just the norm in our space. Just go and buy a site that's heavily monetized by affiliates. Yeah, Amazon affiliate, twenty six times monthly earnings, and yeah, you're you're thrilled. And well, they're thrilled until they realize that they don't own the business. Amazon owns the business um, until they can remove themselves from Amazon affiliate. No, I, I have friends that bought an Amazon store over COVID, and they were super excited. And after six months, it had essentially gone to zero because they just didn't really know what they were doing. And then they got a tax bill. Um, for like 150 grand from the IRS, they're like, "You made all this money you didn't claim." And they were like, "No, like, like that, like just because of the way it was being reported, it looked like you know on paper they made a shit ton of money, but they ended up losing, yeah, I don't know, 20, 30 grand." Um, and I hear that more and more, man. I have like, I like, I'm starting to like, I think we were over the entrepreneur hump that led into COVID, and like we got into COVID, and people were like, "Oh, I'm gonna buy, like, I'm not gonna start a business, I'm gonna buy a business," and a lot of those people don't own those businesses anymore. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It's sort of weeded out the people that are like come in with a lot of energy, but the energy is only not it's is only quick lasting energy, not long lasting energy for entrepreneurialism in the And I feel like it's just generally misdirected too. It. It's like, yeah. you know, you think you're gonna figure it out. Again, entrepreneurship I think on the outside looks very easy. Um, <laughs> you get a lot you get a lot of the must be nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, versus I want to ask you because, you know, having seven operating companies, let's talk a bit about mindset within entrepreneurship. And I'm fascinated about this because I think your portfolio and your business and your income is only um, as good as your mindset and your ability to get through situations and, and, and tackle obstacles. So what... What goes through your head when something bad happens in business? Do you go into a mode where you just have to fix it all? Uh, and then give us an example of one experience that you had that was not quite nice um, with an online business or a business that you own and then how you handled it and how you um, better or differently or how you handled it, why you believe you handled it well at that time. Well, so I've got, I mean, I've got an unfair advantage. Uh, so I work with a mindset coach every week. Um, right. I love he's, that. uh, so that's an unfair advantage having a mindset coach. It's the best thing. He's pretty. He's pretty well recognized as, as probably the. I mean, he's among the top, but he might be the number one mindset coach in the world. Um, Elliot Rowe. Uh, I found him through a network I'm in, but like he also has an app for anybody else who wants to get to know him. Um, so it's funny if you see my phone. Yep. Uh, that only icon on there. That's his app. It's free. It's called Primed Mind. Uh, it's a mindset meditation app. Great for sleep. Um, just how I started using it, but also like just, you know, you need a two, three minute reset in the middle of the day. 
clear your mind to be able to, you know, whether you're between cycles or you just need to get focused before you're about to start, you know, a deep work session. Um, but taking, uh, taking it very serious, taking mindset and um, biological prime time, uh, which I'm happy to come back to, like taking those very seriously and like sort of engineering my entire life to fit around when my biological prime time is and when my, like when I'm able to leverage that and to drive a positive mindset to actually get production done, like has been the biggest uh, you know, impact, I think, at everything, anything. Yeah, let's talk about biological so, time frame then. What, what is it and, and how does it, is it? Oh yeah, bio, so biological prime time um, is uh, when um, your individual body uh, performs best during the day uh, because like we're not all robots. We're not all designed to be nine to five. Some of us work better from 5 a.m. to 1 p.m. or nine to two or I've got friends that like, They'll, you know, they'll take their whole morning and they won't sit down at their desk till 1 p.m. and they'll work 1 p.m. until 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. I've got other friends that will do four or five hours in, in the middle of the day. So like they'll have, a, they'll have a nice long morning. They'll spend their most of their afternoon with their kids, like during like the ideal times to hang out with their kids and their and their significant others. And then they'll go back to work at like seven, eight o'clock at night for four or five hours. Like, and it seems crazy to me, but it's just me. Like, so I work best from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. I get you know, I'm hyper-focused, but like my ADHD falls off a cliff at 3 p.m. I get tired, I get brain fog, I can't focus. And I kept trying to push through that and have coffees at 3 p.m. And I'd stay here till 6.30 and I'd be miserable. And um, as soon as I recognized, like, I, I need to only do productive work from 8 to 3. And I redesigned my entire schedule in, uh, like, November of last year. So I only work Tuesday through Thursday, 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. Mondays are deep work days. Fridays, I only work till noon. If there is like production work that needs to be done, um, bonus there is from Friday at noon till Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. Any weekend, I can fuck off and do whatever yeah. I want, which is great for traveling because yeah. um, I don't have kids. The, the amount of work I still get done, like that's the funny thing is, right, is, you know, mine's like you, you hit the nail on the head with mindset. Like I, I think the funny thing is people are like, Jesus, you know, like 17 companies and like I've got like they all have any of them that need oversight or have operational management requirements that like they have management teams like the, the funny thing I think about it is when I talk to, to people about it and they're like, man, you must like, what do you work 70 hours a week? I'm like, no, I work you know, 25. Yeah. And like sometimes not even like I don't work that hard. Um, and I think like, like that, like in hustle culture, that's like, like Gary Vee would be like throwing up in his mouth. Right. Yeah. Now, well, I'm right? With like you. I just, I'm I don't... with you. I, I do, I do 20, 20 to 25 hours. I take half day Thursday, full, full day Friday off and, uh, yeah. I'm more about like I've got it on my right next to me here a little note sticky note that says uh, less action more thinking <clears throat> there's a really good book by um, Keith Cunningham called The Road Less Stupid um, that talks about I've never heard uh, of it you'll enjoy it um, it's really on, on the mindset thing uh, I believe that Keith Cunningham was Rich Dad Poor Dad's uh, mentor at one stage no kidding yeah so it was Robert Kiyosaki's mentor and uh, he made a bunch of money in real estate, lost it, and then came back a couple hundred million or something like that. It was is something crazy. Don't quote me on that amount, but really good book that one of my previous business partners put me onto about how to think about your business. And I realized at, at a time in my business, and I got forced into this because I worked so much through that hustle culture of doing too much. I got glandular fever, and I didn't even know it. I just worked through it. Found out it turned into Epstein Epstein Barr virus. A time that I went to the doctor when the doctor said. 
you're coming for this one thing, but did you realize that you've got Epstein-Barr virus stage three, which is like stage four is the worst you can get. And I was just a zombie who had no idea and forced myself to change my business model, forced myself to change my habits around work uh, and realized that, wow, the less I work and the more I think and put the right people in the right place and have them focus on the right things, the more money I make. And it's, it's a crazy thing to think that you can work less and by working less, you have more energy to put towards just the important things or the big rocks that you should be putting in. It allows you to earn more money with less work. So I'm a big fan of that. I love that you said big rocks though too, because the, um, I mean, I'm a big Stephen Covey fan and I, I set my rocks every quarter. I have all my clients set their three big rocks every quarter. Um, and like, in my opinion, like that's the basis for block scheduling, right? Like if you're going to actually adapt to block scheduling and you've got, you know what your big priorities yeah. are for the month, the, the week, the month, the quarter, the year, whatever your rock term is, um, you know, being able to put those in first in your, in your schedule and then fit everything else around them. And, um, I think that's one of the things like I, um, I, I, I encounter people in business, um, from time to time that, um, find my, the use of my calendar rigid. Um, and they're like, like that, what? Like, like, like you, like you schedule, like, like you put your doctor's appointments and your haircuts and, you know, time with your dogs and time with your wife. Like you put like dinner with your wife in your calendar. Yeah. Everything, every fucking thing goes in there. If it's important, it's in the calendar. And you know why it's in the calendar? Because you can't get, well, there's two things. One is if it's in there and you've got the conviction to make it happen, you're going to do everything you want to do every week. Every single thing you set out to do that week, if it's in your calendar and you have the conviction to see it through, you're going to do it. You will you won't be like, man, I didn't get this thing done. The other thing that I didn't realize, which is an incredibly positive byproduct, was I got my Sundays back. Like before I really embraced using my calendar as a weapon to protect my time and my priorities, I would get anxiety on Sunday, just like most people do. But fuck, like tomorrow's Monday, let's start another week. And like now everything that needs to happen everything in its place. There's a place for everything and everything in its place. Like I don't have anxiety about how am I going to get all this work done because I know what it's going to get all done. Cause it's all like there's time allotted and accounted for, for all of it. But also Mondays are completely clear. Now Mondays are my favorite day of the week now. So like, and what, what the amazing part about Monday being an like my deep work day is I now get Sunday back. Like I didn't realize I was living a bastardized version of my mm. Sundays because of the anxiety, like the subconscious anxiety it was creating around Monday. And that's all. It's crazy. It's it. I'm so glad that you said if it's important, it gets scheduled in. So I got I got friends that won't won't schedule uh, or, or confirm a time to catch up. Just like we'll do it one weekend. I'm like, well, like I value hanging out with you enough to schedule it in. Yeah. And maybe you don't value enough value. It's I wouldn't say they don't value hanging out with myself, but it's more so it's that where they're at, in their position, man. not understanding what they value at all. <laughs> really that's so good to hear about the about the calendar and when shit hits the fan for you nick uh because it does uh, in business and life what do you do do you like my typical i'm like i have an archetype or an essence where i'm a, I'm a rescuer and trying to get things fixed and stuff like that and I'm, I'm really working on not just putting out the fire understanding how to do it in the best possible way that's going to be best for everybody that's involved what are some of the things that you do to process what has happened and how to tackle it and handle it without it, without it coming from a, fe- uh, a fear-based? Yeah, fear. I think yeah. yeah. Totally. Um, first of all, is is uh, 
it's rare that stuff catches on fire now that hasn't already been on fire before. So I think there's just some muscle memory that comes with, you know, doing this for 20 years and, and just, you know, sure. I'm sure. Like I'm sure I just jinxed myself and like my hair is going to catch on fire <laughs> in the call or something. It grows um, but I think part of it is, 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 yeah, it's just being like, you know, like it's, it's never going to be as bad as it seems, even, even, even if it seems like it's, you know, the worst thing that's ever happened. The other thing is, is I also used to be a firefighter. Like that was how I saw my role. That's how I saw I was most effective. It was fuck. Here's a fire. Let me get the hose. Let me like, let me just go make it better. And a lot of times it didn't. Um, and the other thing that was pointed out to me, cause I was, I think I was too close to, to it to see it was that by fighting the fires myself, I was creating a perpetual future where I was going to have to always oh, be the person fighting the fire. That's juicy. That's so good. As a, as opposed to delegating like, all right, Hey, here's a problem. Here's how I would approach this, but you, but you go fix that. You make the decisions. You don't like, don't ask permission. Like, like my, like everybody that, you know, on all my teams, everybody I work with now, like I, the, the guiding principle is like, you know, if you don't have to ask me, like, if you like, unless you really feel you have to absolutely have my opinion, make the decision yourself and just do it. Um, like I, like I, my favorite thing is when my employees just don't ask me and just make decisions like on their own. Cause it's always okay. Always. Like there's never, like it has literally never been an issue. Has it always been as good as it could have been? No, but it's always totally fine. And the better it, like the less decisions I have to make every day, the more energy I have to put into thinking and having. Yeah. Ideas. The less, the less fires that you need to put out that the team can put out. And also it's so empowering, right, for to give your team members the responsibility to go. Oh, I- it's, teach, it's teaching yeah. leadership, yes, yeah, right. Like it's. I mean, how like that's. I, I want. I want my folks to have drive and conviction without me. Mm. Yeah, I love it. I want to bring up um, think traffic. Uh, tell me a bit more about this uh, and what is it? Who's it for? And and why did you start this? So, um, so traffic think tank is a private. Yeah. Uh, private SEO community uh, and an academy. So there's um, 400 hours of video content, uh, texts, lessons, templates, um, like lots of fucking tools and templates in the academy version. And then there's like, like if you want to ask for help, uh, generate a lot of business gets done. A lot of people use like um, generate a shit ton of leads uh, all in the Slack group. So there's the mastermind, which is the Slack group. And there's the academy, which is all like in the back end of the website. It's positioned to be specifically for SEOs, but the fact of the matter is we've got about 450 agencies in there. We've got a lot of freelance consultants and we've got a lot of like pretty senior in-house people and people use it as a career guide. I think in a lot of ways, like our career growth channel is becoming one of our most active. So people are like, Hey, I'm an entry level. I want, how do I, I want to get to a director. What's the path that I need to take? Or I'm a mid-level manager. Um, I don't want to be like, I'm, I'm an IC right now, but I want to make more money. What do I do? And like, you know, you know, talking people through the, well, if you want to be an individual, I see like there's this pathway. If you want to make more money faster, there's the money, there's like the people management path here. Like, here's the way to think about this. Here's the conversations to have with your, your, uh, direct reports or your superior, like your, your boss, here's how to approach them. Here's the language to use. Here's what you should ask for. Here's how you should present it. Like there's like a lot of it has become this career thing, the career piece thing. Um, and it's also not just SEO focused. Like there's channels in there that are you know about affiliate and analytics and paid media and email and e-commerce. Like it's it's become this whole big thing. My favorite way I've ever heard it described, and I can't take any credit for this. I just really like it. Was uh, I once heard somebody talking about it um, at one of our events, and they were describing it to somebody who wasn't that like had come to the event 
um, back when we did live events, um, but wasn't a member. Uh, and they referred to it as uh, their SEO insurance plan. Uh, and I always thought that was pretty cool. Um, it's like, I, uh, I mean, I still like, I learn new stuff every week. I haven't, admittedly, I haven't done SEO in a long time. But like, I'm still fascinated by it. And I love seeing you know the, the cool stuff that people are doing. Yeah, I mean, having that insurance policy for SEO is, is valuable because SEO is ever-evolving. It's just this organism that's ever-evolving, ever-changing. So there's never going to be like, once you've got these things in place, you're good forever. Yeah. And it's, it's the, thing is, and the funny thing is you've got SEOs that will complain about Google. They'll be like, God damn it, Google made this algorithm change and we lost all this traffic or this happened, this happened. It's like, dude, they just... Like they're just giving you job security. Yeah, and I think some people are in online business and forget that Google literally gives you the traffic which allows you to get the money and it's an amazing tool. It's kind of like blaming the knife that you cut yourself uh, when it's a tool that you can, use, <laughs> you can use to cook. Like, yeah, but... And that's why we try to not have too much single source dependency <laughs> when we're looking at totally. doing due diligence on businesses in terms of all organic search traffic from Google. Yeah, it's good. Highest intent traffic, the, the best type of traffic, better than most socials and stuff like that. But it comes with the risk of Google can do what they want and just understand that it's going to change. Like the one thing that is going to happen is inevitable in this world and in your life is change. And just expect it, right? I think that, I mean, you can have a different mindset around it, but expect that it's going to change and, and, and be okay with it and be prepared for it and have that insurance plan, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. Where can we send people, Nick, to check out more about what you're up to and some of your favorite projects? Um, best sites for me, I mean, um, nickubanks.com uh, is an outdated site, but I try to keep the, there's a, a now page, like what I'm working on now. Um, try to keep that reasonably up to date. Other than that, I mean, uh, if anybody wants to chat, I'm in traffic think tank all day, every day. Um, I have a lot of conversations about, like, less and less about SEO, way more about, like, buying and building businesses, growing agencies. Like, it's 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 funny how much the the nature of the conversations have shifted. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. It sounds like you're putting yourself more in alignment with a business investor and buying assets rather than just being in the in the thick of team and and, and growth. Where yeah. You can put- yeah, have it. it's, it's, it's way more fun. I mean, it's way more fun when you can have silly ideas and throw some money at them and, and hope, you know, one out of 10 works. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool. Well, we might have to get you back on and talk about some more businesses that you purchase in the future and stuff. Sounds good. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, everybody, for listening. There'll be links to um, Nick's site in the show notes. Uh, if you are listening to this and you know somebody that's wanting to get into business, Nick and I covered some seriously deep things that, we may have not given as much attention or light to as we maybe should have in terms of mindset, due diligence, buying businesses and strategy. So share this podcast episode with entrepreneurs that you know, because it's going to be so incredibly valuable for them to comprehend and understand consciously what we talked about. Uh, And then if you did listen to this and you liked it, listen to it again, because there may be some golden nuggets that you you missed out on. Uh, Just like reading a book for a second time, you can be very in line with some of the things that you pick up on. So thanks again, and I'll speak to you guys soon.